Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. So the man gave, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought, it to, uh, he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. How many of you have heard this at, at some point, right? You've read this at some point. You've been, if you've been at church for any period of time, and it's the first book in the Bible, it's the creation story, and we have to start and really understand when you look at the Bible, God is the one that started the institution of marriage. This was God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. You look in Genesis in the beginning. You look at the book of Revelation. Can I make this more of kind of a seminar? Like, is that all right? I don't want to get too loud. I just I want to talk and just lay some information out there and that hopefully we can really get this and apply this to our lives. It's not enough to just hear the word, but if we take it and really apply it, that's right. Isn't that the goal? So there is a wedding. There is a marriage in the beginning of the Bible we see in Genesis. And then you go to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And there's the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? Christ and the church. It begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. Now, I understand that it's also a human institution, and doesn't marriage reflect the particular culture in which it is embedded? It does, right? It absolutely does. But first and foremost, we have to understand, it's imperative that we see, this was God's idea. And I have to talk to, I think, single people first, because you know what's so beautiful about the creation story And you see it here. Adam is walking with God. He walks with God in the cool of the day. This is before the fall of man. Right before the fall, you see Adam is connected to God. Before Eve is even in the picture. They have a perfect union, a perfect relationship. But there is still a longing. There is something God says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And what's crazy is how God handles this situation. This is the first time, and there's a scholar by the name of John Walton. He's written a seminal work on the book of Genesis. I never really saw it this way, and this is kind of wild. I always thought, or look, you know, that God says it's not good for man to be alone, and then right away he, he creates Eve. How many of you, come on, be honest, I'm the preacher. So if I'm thinking this, I imagine a lot of people, maybe you scholars, you're ahead of me, but I imagine a lot of people, you probably thought the same thing, right? I've read this so many times. Uh, 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 uh. And this, I'm, getting, I'm going somewhere. I have to lay some tracks. First, we have to see that's not what happened. God said, look, can we go look? Look what it says. Go to 18 and 19. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. He had to name the animals first. He didn't just 
just create Eve. He didn't just take the rib out of Adam. He said, there is going to be a process. And there is Adam. How many of you had a picture of Adam? We've, we've done it like, the, like Sunday school. If I went over to Sunday school right now and I talked about the creation story and I was having fun with the kids, we could talk about there's Adam. And it's kind of, how many of you thought of it like one day that Adam is naming all the animals? That it took one day. Right, come on. That we think that it took one day. No. How about Darwin when he's on the Galapagos Island? And it took him years to, uh, to get a fraction of a microcosm of the species. I mean, it took years for him to do that. I think it took Adam. I agree with Walton on this. He said somewhere probably between 10 and he said 100 years for Adam to name all the animals. I know, that's, rev- that's crazy revelation right there, right away. And you're going, wow. Because I looked at animals this morning. I was going, who has like the longest names? I was thinking of like just some crazy names. How about Adam is there, a pink fairy armadillo. It's like a kind of, kind of a cool name, a duckbill platypus. A tasseled wabagong shark. <laughs> I don't know why it's tasseled, but it is. And you think about all the animals. What happened? There's Adam. And he's riding around on giraffes. And at some point, Adam, there's a longing that was inside of him. He's done naming all the animals. He's done riding on giraffes and playing ping whatever on the donkey. He's done with all these games. He's by himself. And God is kind of like, okay, is the longing, is it ready to be satisfied? You know what I love about God? Not to get too crazy and too philosophical, but I think God, when we have a longing for something, we have a longing for thirst, what does he do? God says, I'm going to satisfy your longing for thirst with water. You have a longing for a woman, I'm going to satisfy that with a woman. He takes the thing and he says, I'm going to satisfy it. So here is the man, he is in the garden, and then after he's named the animals, after it's been some time, now it's conjecture, we don't know for sure, we don't know how long exactly it was, but at some point then, Adam puts the man to sleep. And I just want to preach a little bit because you know what's so interesting too? You look at him putting the man to sleep, sometimes God has to put us to sleep because we'll get in the way of what he wants to do. God says, I have to put you to sleep, Adam, because if you're awake for what I want to do, it's going to cause problems. And I also see in this picture that God didn't take something that was outside Adam. He took a bone that was already inside Adam. He said, I'm going to take something that already exists inside of you, and I'm going to use that to create this new person for you. And Adam woke up, and he said, whoa, man. And God said, that's what you want to call her? And he said, yeah, woman. (laughs) Call her woman because she's hot. (laughs) You know, Justin Timberlake will be proud of I'm bringing sexy back too in this series. How come in the church we never talk about sex? Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't don't ever talk about it. Really? I'm I'm a PG-13. I'm not going to go anywhere that you have to worry about bringing your kids here. but, But really, I mean, we don't ever talk about stuff like this. He is the guy that, right? That's him? Yeah. I had to check with the wife, right? I had to make sure with the wife on that. But I love this. And you know what's wild about this? Can I show us this? I, I cry now when I see this. Because when it says the man said, are you with me? 
right there in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is a form of Hebrew poetry called Hebrew parallelism. And what this is, this is a song that the writer, everyone that, 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 that is Jewish, when they read this, anybody would understand that is in that culture, steeped in that culture. When Adam said these words, this is like a Broadway musical. He wasn't just saying, oh no, this is bone. No, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I didn't practice that. I'm just kind of doing it. Just letting you know I got it. If I have to sing, I got it. Babe, this is like a musical. This is like Broadway. No, really, but I want you to see this. What was the moment like when Adam began to sing and all of the angels were there and God is watching and there's man and woman for the first time and there's perfect union before the fall. We go, after, we go too quick to get to the fall. What it was like and their splendor, her resplendent beauty that was on display for him. Milton, C.S. Lewis, talk about her, Eve, that she looked like God, a goddess. She literally looked like a goddess. The glory that she had before the fall. Adam, the glory that he had before the fall. Amazing. We don't talk that that's going to happen to us one day. And you and your partner and your loved ones will see you in all of your glory. How God created you to be. And I don't care what this world says. I don't care how dark it looks. There is brightness coming and the light will shine in the darkness. Good winds. Naeem said we know the Good winds. We know the end of the story. Isn't that kind of cool when you think about that? Can I get to the good stuff now? Really good stuff. I mean, that's the stuff I geek out on. And I know some of you are like, wake me up when this is good, when the guy's going to get sort of interesting. I think that's really interesting. Because you know what we think? We see this story and we say Adam was incomplete without Eve. That man in the garden was incomplete. And that is wrong. Sorry. Adam was not incomplete. We think that we are to get married and somebody else has to complete us. No, in the words of, of Drs. Townsend and, and Cloud, a person, another person is there to complement us, not to complete us. But we've been taught that in our culture, that somebody will complete you. Marriage is not designed to make us a complete person. Do you realize that, the, that God intended for us to be a complete person? Not perfect, but to be a complete person, to be adults before we actually enter into getting married? Again, we don't see it that way. We don't think that's really the case, but that's what he's saying. And I'm sorry when you look at movies like Jerry Maguire. How many of you know the Jerry Maguire movie, right? I'm sorry, Renee Zellweger, but Jerry cannot complete you. It's a beautiful sentiment, y'all, but it's not true. Jerry couldn't complete you, woman. Nobody in here. You cannot complete the other person that you're next to. You can compliment them, but you cannot complete them. You know what that is? We're going to get into this more next week. Codependency. That's the term for that. We're going to have a really cool illustration, but I can't tell you now. 
you have to come back next week for it. And that's when I'm going to pull Pastor Linda up here too and make her get involved in the whole act. So we come to marriage asking the marriage to complete us as people. And guess what's going to happen to the marriage? It's going to break down. There is no chance for the marriage to make it if that's what we're looking to. It's not the place where one gets completed. It's where we take our eyes. It's where we say, me, me. It's where we take all that and it me becomes we. Where the, the two actually learn and grow into becoming one with each other. That's what marriage is. Can I show This is what Henry Cloud says in his book, and this was so good, I, I had to put it up here for you. He says, many people see marriage as a ticket to shortcut completeness or maturity. Therefore, they don't marry out of strength, but out of weakness. They marry someone to make up for what they do not possess on their own. Did you see that? Stop. Ruminate on that just for a second. They marry out of their incompleteness and doing so erodes the possibility for oneness. Wow. You may have heard couples say, we are such a good balance for each other. The crucial element of two becoming one is that the two people must be complete in and of themselves. This is a term you're going to hear us say in the series. They say it a lot. They must be adults before they marry. That is fabulous. These guys, if you don't know anything about them, they have degrees in theology and psychology. You can't just have, like, I've studied theology. Pastor Lynn has studied both. But you need both of them together. They're intertwined. You can't really understand human beings unless you have both of them together. So there's a marriage of the two. And these gentlemen, are, these doctors are so brilliant in how they lay this out. We don't hear this stuff. Dr. Phil doesn't talk about this. Oprah didn't talk about this. But this is, this is the real stuff. And in Genesis, God is describing marriage. And he says, a man shall leave his father and mother. He's going to cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one. It doesn't say the two halves shall become whole. Do you hear what I said? It does not say the two halves shall become whole. If two people are halves and there are a lot of things they need to work on and they come together, that's not going to be heaven. That's going to be hell. Two halves will create hell in a relationship. Hell. Strong, but it's true. It's good preaching because it's reality. That's what happens. And so many people go into marriage half not whole and they expect the other person to complete them when i marry this person they will complete me and all of my problems will go away that's from the pit of hell that's not that's not reality so what does it look like what does it look like then i'll tell you what it looks like and I, i'm giving you a lot of stuff here and i i asked pastor linda she said you have to show this to the church i'm like the whole list she said they need to see the whole list you can go over a couple of them this is what the doctors say. This is their list for what a mature adult looks like, what is needed that you can't, listen, you can't borrow this from the other person before you go into marriage. We think we can borrow things from somebody. These are things that Dr. Cloud says you have to possess on your own before you can get married. You ready for the list? I'm going to make this PowerPoint available. 
Because this, this is the kind of teaching that you're probably going to want to look at some of these slides because these are things I've read over and over. I just keep reading them because they're so powerful. And it's hard in a 40-minute sermon to kind of get everything. So if you want to look at it, if you don't care about your marriage and you don't care about God, then you won't look. But that's okay. I still love you anyway. <laughs> Essentials to being a complete person. This is right from their book, Boundaries of Marriage. Connect emotionally. Guys, I would say we have more of an issue. I would say connecting emotionally. I know I have in my marriage, if I could be totally transparent with you. It's been an issue. Hasn't always been easy for me. Don't, make me, don't look at me, some of you guys, like you don't know what I'm talking about. Right. Be vulnerable and share feelings. Have an appropriate sense of power and assertiveness. Be able to say no. Wow, that's a good one. Be real but not perfect. Oh, I love that. I could go off on each one. I'm really trying to be good. Not perfect. No perfect people allowed in this church. There are no perfect people allowed in marriages. No one is perfect. I love it. People are taking pictures of it. You should. You're not going to look at it online. Accept imperfections and have grace and forgiveness. Yeah, it's the gospel. Learning how to grieve. Grieving things. Grieving loss in life. I'm not just talking grieving when somebody passes, but grieving loss when you lose things in life. Think for oneself, express one's opinions. We're going to get into that with codependency next week. We're going to get into that. Learn and grow. Take risks. Be responsible and follow through. Be free and not controlled by external or internal factors. Be sexual. (laughs) That's his list. That's not my list. That's his list. It's pretty good, right? How about, can I give us an assignment? How about as married couples, we leave here this week, and instead of just going home and going, how was church? It was all right. Yeah, it was okay. Or talk about whatever else is going on for the week. How about we actually go over a list like this, and why don't we ask each other, where do you think I'm at in terms of this list? Where are the areas that you think I need to work on to make myself whole in this relationship. Can I be honest? You think you've been married for 30 or 40 years and you think everything's okay? Well, then you look at this list. You tell me on this list where you're, you're hitting everything, right? The bullseye, every single one. You're lying. You are lying. Maybe pastors Joe and Linda, but I don't know about the rest of us. Right? But isn't this a good list? I know it's a different kind of sermon. Next week's more of a normal sermon, but this is important. That we go through this kind of stuff and we really look at it. And this does not mean that the husband and wife have the same talents and abilities. When I say that two people have to be whole. Do you hear what I said? That's important. That we don't have to have the same talents. We complement each other by bringing our talents and our gifts into the relationship and they complement each other. Somebody, the husband may have good business acumen. I don't know. The wife maybe is a raging extrovert and the life of the papa party i'm married i didn't tell i just i'm just i'm just loose in this series you don't want you want to go to sleep go ahead I'm, i'm having fun but my wife is the life of the party she is. She goes out somewhere. Somebody's like, you see your wife? She's up there on the stage and she's Irish step dancing. She has a microphone in her hand and somebody's asking her to sing. Somebody's asking her to do a monologue from my cousin Vinny. And there she is. And she goes on and on. And we'll be at event after event. And this woman is a raging extrovert. She compliments me. You may think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. I'm a raging introvert. I want to be marooned on an island away from human beings. I want 
this is what I want. I want the Bible. I have God because he's everywhere. I have my Bible. I have some gluten-free food. I have a tub of peanut butter. I'm good. (laughs) For a couple of days. Then I'll come back to humanity. I'll come back to civilization. For my wife, that is hell. She gets fed by people. And you know in your relationships too. The gifts and talents, the things that you bring to the table and how they complement each other. No, it's not about completing the other person. But when you see two people that can complement each other, oh, it is so beautiful. And they bring their gifts and they form a partnership. But you know what we see in our culture too? You hear people say, he's everything I dreamed of. We are the perfect match. She's a goddess. And we throw these terms around there. And we act as if the euphoria, they've done stuff. Listen, I could throw a lot of studies at you. I teach some of this stuff in school too. The high school level, talk about marriage and dating and all that. I mean, when you look at the science behind something, we think that this euphoria, two people meet and they think that the, the, excuse me, the fireworks and, and the euphoric feelings are going to, they're never going to dissipate and they're just going to go on forever. Can I have a married couple in the house tell me that's not true, right? You don't always wake up. I'm sorry with the royal wedding. How many of y'all crazy people for, for Prince Harry and uh, Meghan, you got up at five or six in the morning and you watched the royal wedding. You watched it. Millions of dollars. You know what I want? Steve, you know what I want? I want a camera inside of the, I don't want their bedroom. I want a camera inside the house of those two individuals and I want to see what married life is like because they made it look like everything is bliss and when the cameras were done that day everything was over and people went back to their lives oh my gosh that was great did you see what Megan had on oh and they liked her dress but oh what is, what is I want a wedding like that you're not getting a wedding like that you're not getting a 20 million dollar wedding so get that thought out of your mind that's never happening but that's the problem in our culture One writer, where is it? One writer uh, said it this way. He said, we're a culture that we're so concerned with and so uh, inundated with how to fall in love that we don't know how to stay in love. It's all about falling in love. And this is what he said. Boom, this is good. There is a reason fairy tales end in marriage because nobody wants to know what happens next. I went, you know what I did? You know what I did? And you may think this is cornball preacher humor. I don't really care because I was just having fun with it. I went online. I said, what are like the top 50 romantic comedies? Right? So I just pulled a couple. How many of you saw When Harry Met Sally? Yeah. Did you ever see the sequel? When Harry broke up with Sally? Did you ever see that? Or what was the other one? You've Got Mail? Right? I just, the sequel was You Got Dumped Via Email. Right? Anybody see that? I was just having some fun taking apart some of the movie titles, right? It's true, though. How come all of the movies stop right there? It's so rare, except Nick Sparks when he takes the notebook, the movie I have to watch every single year on Valentine's Day. I know more lines than y'all do. I dare any woman to get up here right now, and you think you know more lines from that movie, you'll lose. I was, my wife, when I went on a date last night, what did I do as I went in the house? I'm quoting the notebook, baby. You forgot that I quoted the notebook to you? She's kidding, of course. (laughs) But how many of us know what what I'm talking about there? I mean, and and what is it that we're really looking for? I mean, that oneness that you see in a couple, it's really only a preview when people start dating. 
you have to grow into the relationship, right? You have to grow into it. And when you look at, I mean, you look at empirical studies, uh, anecdotal evidence, e-harmony, right? I saw an ad for e-harmony. I wrote down, like, that's, that's for a sermon. And the guy said, I'm just looking for my perfect soulmate. <laughs> perfect soulmate. Did you know, I've said this in a series before. I promise I won't take too much time. Did you, there's not one perfect person for everyone here. I've said this, but it's important that we note that. Imagine if you didn't marry the person that you're married to, right? or you say, I have to be married to this person. If you weren't, just think about it. Just take it on down the line. You married somebody else. They married the wrong person. These kids are all running around. They weren't supposed to be born. That's not right. I mean, you think about the world, and we say you're only supposed to really marry one person. Anyway, you don't want to. I'm, I could, I'm just going to stop. Just stop myself right there. But don't we sit there sometimes and we go, what happened? Where did the love go? You know, scientists say they've done this at Stony Brook University. They've, they've attached like electrodes and, and Naeem, maybe you can speak to this, some of the, I don't know, the brain, they've measured like brain waves in married couples. And they say the early throes of romance where you're just in love, infatuated with that person. Do you ever notice how in the beginning of a relationship we celebrate everything about that person? Do you ever notice that when you first start dating somebody or even when you, maybe you first married to someone, you're like, oh my gosh, he is the funniest person I know. Five years later, can you be serious about anything? You're not serious about anything. What's wrong with you? I didn't think you were going to find it that funny. <laughs> you know, it's funny. What we celebrate in the beginning of a marriage, eventually we tolerate. And then we become so frustrated with it because we have these ideas from our culture about what a marriage is really supposed to be like. And then one day, how does it happen that two people they, they, that stand before an altar, they stand before God and they profess their love to each other and they take vows, how can it be that a couple of years later, those two same people can be communicating via attorneys and they don't even talk to each other? How does that happen? That's what this series is about. How do we get back to celebrating those things that we fell in love with? Oh, I got to wait because I'm going, I'm just, oh, I have so much material. I said that to Pastor Linda. She's like, that's my life. That always happens to me as a preacher. I'm Pastor Linda right now. I have notes everywhere. Wow. But, but you know, we also think, to, come on, who would be honest? You can't raise your hand because you're in church and if you're next to that person. Do you ever wonder? Just internally answer this question. Again, I have to say that. I don't want you to get in trouble. Do you ever sit there? We, we wonder, did I marry the right person when the love fades? Right? Did I marry? Really? What went wrong? Why do you think half of the people walk out in marriages? I could give you all those stats. You've heard a lot of those stats before. Why does that happen? And we sit there sometimes and we wonder, am I really married to the right person? And we forget that the remedy probably lies in our own growth, not finding a new person to be married to. Can I tell you, this is the best part of the sermon. You ready? You ready for this? This is my favorite quote in the sermon. This is from a theologian from Duke University. I couldn't wait to unleash this nuclear bomb on you today. I've waited all week for this. This is a quote from Stanley Howaras. And this is what he says. You've never heard the name before. Listen, this is powerful. 
Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. Preach it, brother. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Wait a second. Did he just say that? You didn't marry the right person. You didn't marry the right person. You didn't marry the right person. All of you married the wrong person. What? Wait, not done yet. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. Amen to that. For marriage means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. We never marry the right person. Christian ethicist and scholar. This is good today. Are you enjoying this? Because I'm enjoying preaching it because I think this is good stuff. Louis Smead, you know what he said about this? About us changing? How many of you can relate to this? Especially if you're more seasoned. My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were wed, and each of the five has been me. How many of us know that's true? You see, the guy I was a decade ago, the guy I was five years ago, I don't want to be that same guy in my marriage. And there have been times when I'm way too complacent and I'm way too comfortable with my wife and I just act as if everything is okay and it's not. That I have to do work in marriage. It's work. It's hard work. And I'm here as one of your pastors to tell you, not, of us, not enough of us are doing the hard work. We're complacent and we're satisfied. Rocky, we lost the eye of the tiger. We lost it. Mick's telling you to get it back today. How good is that quote, by the way? I just, oh, isn't that good? Isn't that good? If I say nothing else for the rest of the sermon, I just let those words speak. Not him, the other guy. I just, those words are so powerful when you think about them. And, and how true it is. Tim Keller says in his book, or he actually gives credit to his wife, Kathy. She says, you don't, you don't look for the right person. You're not trying to marry the right person. You have to be the right person. Stop. If you're, if you're not married, you're single, or if you're with somebody, it's not about, I don't know if I married the right person. No, no, no. Look in the mirror. It's about you being the right person in that relationship. It's like a gem tumbler. And you take two gems and there's a, there's, a, there's a clash, a constructive clash. And it's like iron sharpens iron. And they work together. And God uses that. And God says, I'm going to do certain things and there's going to be some friction. But I'm going to work and I'm going to move in your life. And I want you to see what I'm going to do. I want you to trust. Wow. Wow. I'm going to do amazing things. You know what you don't want? This is what she says. I I'm just preaching. i got to slow down. You know what she says? You don't want a statue. This is what you want when you're looking for someone. Ready? You want a block of marble. You don't want a finished statue. You want a block of marble. And the Christian idea of marriage is you don't fall in love with the person they are. You fall in love with the person they are becoming. Not who they are. Who are you becoming? You know what it is? It's to say you, you stood before an altar, 
You stood before your friends and family and they celebrated you. They celebrate us, right? The point of marriage is that one day we will stand before God. Can you imagine what that's like? You've been married with somebody. You've been married to somebody for such a long time. And then one day you get to stand before God and you get to look at that person. And the person that you saw, you're saying, I want to enjoy the person that they're going to become. I want to look into their future and see who I see them becoming. And then on that day, you get to see who they truly are. What is that going to be like? And to think that you had a part to play in it. You never thought of that before. C.S. Lewis, I didn't either. Powerful. That's what it's all about. Stand in front of God and to see that, to see the future of what they're going to be. I remember being at a Chinese restaurant. I wasn't eating the Chinese food. I think I was eating the Japanese food whatever, this years ago before I was married. And I'll never forget. I don't know if you remember this. And I said to my parents, I, God gave me a picture. And I was like on a hill and I was standing with a woman. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know it was Megan yet. All right. She, Meg, this woman, you want to, can I just tell you something real quick? How much I love this woman? I was engaged to someone. Some of you don't know this. I was engaged. I was at my sister's wedding in the pictures. You know what this girl did before I even know who she was? She got a picture and cut out the picture of the girl that I was engaged to. How brazen of this girl that looked into the, no, no, I'm serious. This young, she's nine years younger than me. Anyone, I want an amen from someone that marries younger. Smart, you're smart. So listen, listen, amen. Listen, I look at this, I look at this woman and I'm amazed that she was able to look at me and look into a future and see something together. She saw something that was there. Crazy, and I know some of you can relate to that. To see something that is there. But everywhere in our culture, it's about finding. It's not about becoming. You gotta find the girl. You gotta find the one. And then, and then guys, right? You find the girl, and then you gotta find the ring. You gotta find some money. And then you get married, and you gotta find a job, J O B, and you gotta find a house. Finding, finding, finding. What about becoming? What about becoming in the marriage? It's so much more important. So the two shall become one. What are you becoming? Happiness, again, is not finding the right person. It has to be the right. We have to be the right person for the other person in the marriage. But it's all about us. Being the, and being the, the right person in our hearts. And this is a, a Tim Keller illustration, too, that was just unbelievable. I thought it was unbelievable. You know what marriage gets at stuff that only marriage can get at? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Marriage brings out the ugliness in us, does it not? Y'all are so quiet today. I don't know what's going to happen with your conversations when you leave here. He talks about when he was a kid, there was a, uh, there was a bridge. And the bridge, it was, it was older, and it had some structural issues. But when you looked at the bridge, you could not just see the structural problems that were there, that were present. It was only when, say, a five-ton Mack truck came over the bridge. As it came over the bridge, you could see where the weaknesses were. You could see where the structural problems were. He says when you get married, it's like the other person is a five-ton truck 
that is driven right over your heart and those areas, your pride, your anger issues, what selfishness. He says those things are then revealed in the marriage and you see it. And God says, I tried to work on some of this with your parents and your parents told you things, but you weren't. You didn't take vows. You didn't marry them. It's a different kind of commitment. But when you stand before an altar, it's so different. And maybe your friends tried to tell you, you could run away from the marriage eventually, but it's hard. So you're there. It's basically, you have to look at, in the mirror at some of the issues that you have. That's what marriage is doing to us. That's what relationships can do. They're showing us what was there the entire time. How good is that? I think that's an amazing illustration. And it brings out the worst in us. And it, it doesn't... Can I say that it, marriage is not about you being in conflict with your spouse. You know what we're going to get into? My spouse just doesn't meet my needs anymore. They just don't meet my needs. Pastor Linda said that's the number one question she wanted me to address in the series. We're going to get into it. I'm not really going deep into that today. You are not at odds really with your spouse. Guess what? Marriage shows you that you're at odds with yourself. Inside you is the problem. It's not the other person. Don't be like me where you say it takes so long to figure out it's about the mirror. It's not about last year I did a sermon and I used a magnifying glass and a mirror, but we're so good with the magnifying glass and we're so good at looking at other people's problems that we have a hard time picking up the mirror and looking at our own issues. Stop blaming your spouse for all the problems. Look at yourself. Not your spouse's fault. What can you do in the relationship? Did you ever hear of the 80-20 principle? 80-20 principle. The 80-20 principle is there are 80% of things that you love and 20% of things that you don't really like. And in a marriage, isn't that the case sometimes? Nobody is perfect. But what we do in the relationship is we take a magnifying glass over the 20% of things that we don't like in that person, and then we look around. I don't know if I can really preach this, but I guess I'm going to. I may get in trouble. But when we look around, we look at somebody else at the office, we look at somebody else, and we say, they have the 20% that my wife or my husband doesn't have, but I'm here to tell you this morning, if that's you, just remember, that person has a 20% too, and they probably don't have the 80% that you're sitting next to today. We want that, right? I want that. I want that. It's not, but listen, you have a 20% too. I probably have 30 or 40%. Let's be honest. And even we do that in churches too. We go, they have 20%. Who knows? This church may have 30%. I don't know what the number is. There's no church that's perfect. But everything can be so good. And people can go, man, I love the, I love the music. I love the preaching. I love this. And then one thing happens. One thing, but you know what they said about me. And you know they said, I didn't like when he said that. They didn't like when they did that. One thing, people will leave the 80% because they don't like the 20%. Go on out because you're going to find another 20 or 30% at the next church you show up at. I'm just about, music team, you can come on up. I'm just about done. This is how Jesus put it, too, just to, just to highlight this for us. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, last chapter, Matthew chapters 
5 through 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Why are we in our marriages spending so much time focused on the issues at hand with our spouse? Can we start this week to focus on becoming what God, who God has called us to be? Can we really take it seriously with Dr. Cloud, that slide that I put up? Can we actually really talk about some of these real issues? And we talk about, you know what? I've I've actually been in this marriage and I've kind of looked for you to complete me. And you're gonna see when we do this demonstration next week, that's, I, I think it's really powerful. And you see it and we've been looking for somebody else to complete us, but they can't. We're looking for somebody to compliment us. The two only become one when we're mature and we're healthy and we deal with this stuff as we walk into our marriages. This is the time, church. God is putting his finger on City on a Hill Community Church for us to deal with our dysfunction. In our marriages, in our relationships, in how we handle our kids, how we parent, God is talking to us as a church now about this. Now. Unexpressed expectations, unrealistic expectations. We're going to talk about it in this series. Keeping score with our spouses. Boom, problem. All these issues that we have to address in this series, we will. I want you to come back. Please come back. This is just the beginning. If you're somebody too, again, if you're somebody that's single and you don't know, what did God, remember, what did God do with Adam? There was a longing. There was pain. He made him wait. But God says, in order for me to bless you, you're going to have to go through a little pain. But when you get what, you, what I promised you and I'm going to bless you with, you're going to appreciate more because you went through this situation, Adam. You were naming animals for such a long period of time before you got Eve. And some of us in here, you, maybe you're single and you feel like you've been naming animals for a long time and you're waiting. And God says it's going to happen. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. Lord, Father, I thank you for, I thank you for everyone in here, Lord, this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're, you're pointing out to us all the areas that we need to focus on, all the areas of dysfunction. Lord, it's a new day. You don't want us to play around anymore. You don't want us to be so comfortable that we would miss out on what we were created for. Father, help us to see those areas in our lives where we're not whole. Help us to see where we're looking at our spouse with a magnifying glass and you're asking us to pick up a mirror and look in the mirror and see those issues that we have and we'd stop blaming them for all of the problems in the marriage. That's it, amen. You know what they said too in studies? That couples that are going through marital problems if they will stick it out, this was, in, this was in Tim Keller's book, and he has a lot of stats in the beginning. Couples that will stick it out, five, if they stick it out for five years, they usually make it. Five years. The majority of couples, it was over 70%, maybe 76% of couples that they will stick it out. I'm not saying, again, that's not every couple, but I'm just saying, I know marriage isn't easy. Being in it, I'm with you. But I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God wants to do something in all of our marriages. And he wants to give us health, freedom, and to make us whole. 
Can you come back once you stand on your feet? How many of you want to come back next week and listen to part two? We're going to a cool story. We're going to a cool story. Remember again, I'm no marital expert. One sitting on the front row. I am not one. But God wants us to hear this and God wants, to, wants us to work with it. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.